Hallelujah. We'll turn to Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37 and we'll start from verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about and behold there were very many in the open valley and lo they were very dry and he said unto me son of man can these bones live And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. He did what the Lord asked him to do. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them. And the skin covered them above. But there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind prophesy son of man and say to the wind thus saith the lord god come from the four winds o breath and breathe upon these slain that they may live so i prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived and stood up upon their feet an exceeding great army tonight i want to preach from this thought dry bones are not final. Lord God, we thank you that we can feel your anointing so heavily in this place tonight. I'm so thankful, Lord God, that we can feel your presence tonight. And Lord, I know you want to speak unto your people, Lord God, and I just pray that, Lord, as your word is anointed and you have anointed this vessel, that as your word goes forth, that, Lord, it would find good ground, that it would take root, that it would change us, Lord God, to be more like you from glory to glory, God, I pray. Lord, encourage your people tonight in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 Well, Ezekiel was a priest and a prophet, and he had experienced the exile of Judah to Babylon firsthand. Many prophecies that Ezekiel spoke were of judgment due to the idolatry and the rebellion of the people of God. However, even though much of the book of Ezekiel is concerned with judgment, we see currents of hope and renewal weaved through the book, and particularly towards the end chapters. And Ezekiel 37 is one of those hopeful prophecies. The tribes of Israel are so widely scattered. The people of God seemed all but lost. And that looked like their national identity was forever gone and they would never enter the promised land. And this vision was to inspire them with hope that God would one day revive them and bring them back together again as a nation. And what I love about the Old Testament is that even though these things were applied to the Israelites, we are able to also apply them to our current spiritual life. And so tonight I want to encourage someone, it's not over. 
You may be wandering over your life, your situation, your family, and all you see is a valley now filled with bleached dry bones, the wreck of a vast host slain by the sword, and yet there is still hope. Dry bones are not final. The Spirit of God trumps any situation that you may face. Hallelujah. Genesis 2 and 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We read in Genesis 2 that God formed the body of a man with all the organs in place, all the flesh on the bones, the limbs were created. But it isn't until he breathes into Adam's body the breath of life that he becomes a living soul. Without that breath of life, Adam would have just stayed a shell, an empty vessel. He would have stayed lifeless. But because God breathed into him, he became a living soul. And Deuteronomy 32 and 37, 39 says, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive. It is God that can make alive that which was dead. And we know that when Adam and Eve fell into sin in the garden, there was a part of them that died. Prior to this, they had direct connection with God, beautiful communion with God, a perfect relationship with him. But because of their sin, there was a spiritual death that occurred. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. When we sin, there may not be a physical death, although sin can affect the physical body, but more than that, it causes a spiritual death. And this is much more worse than any physical death. But because Jesus rose from the grave as we were singing that song, we don't have to stay spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 and 1 says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. How are we quickened or made alive? How are we brought back from the dead? Romans 8.11 gives us the answer, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. It's through the spirit of God that we are raised up from spiritual death to spiritual life. And I am so thankful that he didn't stay stuck in that tomb, but he raised himself up from the grave. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there would be no resurrection for you or for me. Ezekiel was in exile, probably thinking of the people of God. I told you so. It would have been frustrating to prophesy judgment and warning after warning that the nation of Israel needs to turn from its sin and repent, and yet they were rebelling, and he sees them taken into captivity due to their lack of repentance and desire to change. But then again, I wonder how many times we receive warnings and don't take heed to them, or how often we give warnings to someone else and they also do not take heed. How often we reach out to someone and they don't receive the advice we give. It can be frustrating. And sometimes we may question, how much longer do we need to preach truth before someone starts to believe it? And yet when the Lord asked him, Ezekiel, son of man, can these bones live? Ezekiel did not reply, I don't think so. Instead he answered, oh Lord God, you know. You know God. I wonder if he had responded no, whether he would have seen the miraculous happen in that vision. Yesterday I was sitting in my bedroom, just having some time with the Lord, and I was reading through a chapter of Proverbs, 
and I became overwhelmed by the desolation of our world and the utter evil that is found in the shadows and darkness of this earth. And yet I was reminded of Ezekiel and how the Lord said, can these dry bones live? And how Ezekiel probably in his mind is thinking, not really feeling it, Lord. And yet with what little faith he had, he responded, you know, Lord. We'll get there in the end. As we look out upon our neighbourhoods, we walk amongst our families, we live in situations and circumstances, it can sometimes be comparable to this howering scene of a recent battlefield. There are spiritually dead people, unfulfilled dreams, insurmountable problems and overwhelming circumstances. And yet I hear the Lord whisper, Emma, can these dry bones live? And I have to answer, Lord, you know. If it's your will, God, yes, yes, they can live again. And the Lord continues and says to Ezekiel, okay, now that you know that I know what I'm doing, now it's time to start declaring some things. Ezekiel prophesied of these dead, dry, no hope of living bones. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Ezekiel, tell these bones what are going to happen to them. Tell them that I'm going to bring flesh upon them and I'm going to cover them with skin and I'm going to put breath in them and they will live. Verse 7 says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold a shaking, and the bones came together bone to his bone. When truth is proclaimed, when the word of God is preached faithfully, even during an attack or an utterly hopeless situation, there will be a shaking. The word of God is quick and powerful. And the word quick in Hebrews 4.12 means to live or to make alive. And the word powerful means that it is effective and active. It isn't a dormant thing and it demands a response from the person or situation it is spoken into. And we see that as Ezekiel speaks the word of God and starts to declare some things over these dry bones, there is a movement. Can you imagine? Just picture it for a moment. He's standing, say, ankle deep in dry bones. The word of God says very dry. It's like the Lord wants us to know there was literally no possible hope in this situation, in the physical. And so he's, he's standing in this valley of bones and he speaks. And when you think about it, it's just so crazy. If you look at it, you're like, what are you doing? But as he speaks the word... There is some movement in the distance and he sees something coming kind of close to him and suddenly it's a leg bone. It flies past him to find a pelvis that it was attached to before a vulture took it. And then there's a clavicle that finds its way to the sternum of another body that it belongs to and so on and so on. I mean, can you imagine what a crazy scene that would have been? And yet, without realising it, when a person finds their way to God... That is exactly what is happening. When you teach a Bible study, when you tell someone that God loves them and that there is hope in a fallen world, as you speak the truth of God's word, bones are starting to come together. Life is being restored where there was only death. We see that in verse 8 that although the preached word of God had brought the bodies together, there was no breath in them. And so in verse 9, The Lord says to Ezekiel, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. 
So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them and they lived and stood up upon their feet an exceeding great army. It takes a baptism of the Holy Ghost to truly bring to life that which was dead. It takes a real encounter with the King of Kings to really restore that which was lifeless and without hope. And there are many people outside of churches and also inside churches that have heard the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ and have sat under the preached word of God and yet are still not alive. Revelation 3.1 says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name. I know you. I know you do good work. That thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. O church in Sardis, you have the reputation of Christians and consequently can somewhat look alive And yet you are dead inside, dry bones. You have no life of God in your souls. The Spirit of God must not lie dormant in our lives, but must be active in us. And too often people act Christian and we talk the talk and we dress proper and we attend church and yet inside we are dry. The disciples had spent time with Jesus. They had sat under his ministry. And he had taught them for three years and yet as they saw Jesus hanging on that cross, all hope still seemed lost. Although they had heard the words of Jesus, they had heard the word he had preached to them. It really didn't mean anything at that moment. They didn't understand why this was happening. And it wasn't until the day of Pentecost that they truly understood the words that he spoke. Everything came to life in a way that they had never experienced before when they were freshly filled with the Spirit of God. Even though they had been living, talking about Jesus, preaching about Jesus, now Jesus was in them. And they had a boldness to stand up and be counted as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now they could live an overcoming life, not just talk about an overcoming life, but live it because the power of the Spirit of God was in them. Those of you who have experienced the infilling of the Holy Ghost can testify of the first time and how you felt this energy and an excitement that you couldn't explain that made you feel more alive than before. Nothing in the physical had changed. You weren't fitter. You hadn't eaten healthier. You weren't taking vitamins. It was nothing physical that had happened. It was a spiritual thing. And if you have never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and spoken in tongues, I recommend you seek after him tonight. No doubt, no need to fear. There's nothing to fear about the Spirit of God. It is a gift. It is a present from God. It's awesome. There is nothing to fear and we don't need to doubt. He said he will freely give it to us. We've just got to step out. We've just got to step out in faith. There's no greater feeling than having him fill you with all of himself and knowing that he's with you every step of the way. Even when you walk out of these doors, he's, he's in you, he's resident there. We turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11 records the account of the death of Lazarus, one of Jesus' friends, a man who he loved dearly. The word of God says that. And Jesus has just left Jerusalem and he's currently at the Jordan River. This is before he receives the word. And then 
Mary and Martha have sent someone to tell him something. And they say, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. It's like Mary and Martha are saying, Jesus, don't forget that you love Lazarus. You don't want to see him die, do you? Don't let any bad thing happen to him because you love him, Jesus. You love us. Jesus, it says in verse 5 that you love Lazarus and you're waiting for another two days. He, verse 6 gets me every time. When, we, when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, this man that Jesus loved deeply, Jesus decided to stay at the River Jordan for two more days. Don't you know that you can come now and heal him? You love him. Why are you waiting another two days? You don't even have to come. You could just speak the word and he'll be healed. But no, Jesus stayed at the River Jordan. I don't know why. There was something that he had to do at the River Jordan. But in verse 14, it clearly says Lazarus is dead. And it's then that he decides to go to Bethany. And so he heads on his way and Martha hears that Jesus is finally coming. And he, she goes out to meet him. And her first words to Jesus are, Lord, if thou had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then Martha then goes to find Mary. And in verse 28 of John chapter 11, it says, And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The master is come and calleth for thee. And Mary goes out to meet Jesus, and her first words to him are the same as Martha's. Lord, why did you take so long? Now my brother is dead. If you'd just been here just a little earlier, just a little earlier, you could have saved him. You came, Lord, but it's too late. And when Jesus saw the grief that Mary and Martha felt, he wept. Whether it was because of their unbelief and lack of faith or whether it was purely because he was hurting with them, Jesus showed emotion. We don't serve a God who is not touched with the feelings of our infirmities. God feels what we feel. When he sees our dead, hopeless situations, when he looks on our valley of dry bones, he understands, he knows, and he cares. And that verse that says Jesus wept, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, and yet carries a deep weight. Truly, Jesus feels the pain of his people. And even though to us it seems cruel to allow the pain, he has a greater plan, one that we do not understand Verse 38 and 39 says, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. And if you go back in verse 22, Martha had only just a minute ago said, after she said that, you know, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. In verse 22, it says, Even now, though, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. It seems, though, in verse, uh, in verse 22, that she felt that Jesus was able to do something. She didn't know what. She didn't understand it. But she knew that he had power from God. But doubt crept in. But God, why do you want to open that grave? That horrible corpse is not alive. It's actual, in actual fact, it's been there for four whole days in the heat of a tomb. It's going to stink bad. But the Lord reminds Martha, Martha, don't you remember what I said? Don't worry. You will see the glory of God. And verse 43 and 44 says, And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, 
Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Let me say this. Jesus is still a miracle worker. Jesus is still a miracle worker. He breathes life into dead situations. He trades old for new. He gives your, you day for your night. And for death, he gives you life. And whether he stunk or not, Lazarus was walking out of that tomb alive. And verse 45 says, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. It was because of the resurrection of Lazarus that many believed. And Jesus said in verse 15, a couple of scriptures back, that I'm glad that I wasn't there, so that it may give me the opportunity to show you who I am and what I can do so that you will believe. And I know there are people in this place tonight that have called out to God. They have sent for him. Jesus, don't you love me? Remember, you said you loved me and you would look after me. I need you to come now and fix this situation. I need you to come and give me something to hold on to. I need you. I'm dying. My family is dying. I'm about to lose my job. I don't have a job. I can't seem to pay my bills. Please come and fix this. And what happens? Does God come running and fix it straight away? Sometimes. But more often than not, no, he doesn't. It feels as though he's sitting by that Jordan River for an extra two days or two years or two decades sometimes. And you spend those days thinking, my daughter, my son, my family member is getting further and further away from God. I still can't pay my bills. And you're trying to figure out whether or not it's worth struggling to live. And then Jesus finally shows up and we say, oh, if you'd been here, God, if you'd been here when I needed you, my son would be living for you. If you'd been here, I wouldn't have lost my job. If you'd been here, I wouldn't be depressed. If you'd been here, that relationship wouldn't have failed. If you had been here, I wouldn't have been mad at that person. When we feel like he finally arrives and comes into our situation, we are in such a mess. There is absolutely no physical hope of life. It's dead. And gone, and we look at it and we say, this stinks. And then Jesus says, open the tomb. You've buried the dead. You've taken it and you've hidden it in a tomb. And I want to bring it out into the open. Oh, no way, Lord. It stinks bad. I don't want you to see this. It's a mess. But still, God wants to see the situation. He still wants us to share it all with him. And your situation may stink. It may be dirty. You may be deep in sin. Or maybe it's not your fault. And maybe the devil's just done a really good job of attacking your family and destroying something in you. And all you see is a valley of dry bones, of slain promises and dreams. But God says, roll away the stone. He wants to bring out and clean it up. He wants to breathe life into it again. And he says, come forth. And to our amazement, out comes what we thought was beyond hope and beyond life. We look at our situations and we say, how on earth could anything good ever come of this? How on earth is the living going to come out of this pile of dry bones? Newsflash, it's not by earthly things. It never has and it never will. 
How do we think that something spiritual can be fixed in the earthly realm? It's a heavenly thing. It's only possible through the spirit of God. It's a spiritual thing. And if you don't think it's possible tonight, look around you. Just look around for a second. I see from up here a mighty army. A group of people that were once just a pile of dry bones. And by the power of God's word and his spirit, we all sit here in our right mind, alive and breathing, not just physically, but spiritually as well. As Jesus hangs from the cross, the disciples are wondering what has just happened. How on earth can this be? I thought he was our redeemer and our deliverer, the one that was going to come and save us. And yet, here he is, pinned to this ugly cross and in my eyes, helpless. And we sometimes look at our situations, our desires, our family members, whatever it is that consumes us and distracts us from Jesus Christ and wonder how is this ever going to end any other way than death. And Jesus says, exactly. It has to die. Place it on the cross. Jesus could not be raised from the dead. His spirit could not be breathed into our lives without the death. If he had never gone to the cross, we would still be dead in our sin. It doesn't make sense to us when we see death, when we see the world in such a dark place, in a bad place. But it is at that moment, it is that moment that he comes. Jesus will come. He still came to Lazarus's grave. And he will breathe his spirit into our dead situations, our slain dreams, our family members that are currently not walking with him. He will come and he will do it. We see in Ezekiel that a great army was raised up in the vision. And we read in the account of the resurrection of Lazarus that many believed. Another newsflash. The miraculous, the resurrection of your dead situation is not just for you. And I know that can sound a bit harsh. I know situations are tough. And we do go through times that are terrible. But it is not about you. And it's not about me. It's not about what I want. But if we will remember that it is about him and his glory, and his power, and his spirit. What miraculous things could he do and show to those around us through our situations? He has been good a very long time. Since before time began, he has been good. He knows what he is doing. He hasn't left his throne. He hasn't taken a holiday or just gone away for a snooze for a little while. He does not sleep. He doesn't get tired. He is in control. He hasn't left his throne. Even when you don't see it, even when you don't believe he is who he says he is, he still is exactly who he says he is. And sometimes we just have to declare that he is good. We have to proclaim over our situations the dynamite power of God's spirit. The word of God says it's not by might, it's not by power, but it is only by his spirit. And it's his spirit that can overwhelm whatever is overwhelming you tonight. Can I please have a musician? Ecclesiastes 9 and 4 says, For to him that is joined to all the living there is hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. And this proverb says that where there is life, there is hope. But I propose tonight that even where there is death, there is still hope. 
It just takes the power of God's spirit to bring back to life that which was dead. And I go back to one of my favorite passages of scripture when I feel like death is final. When I feel like this world is so evil with so many fallen men and women, so many valleys full of dry bones, and it all just seems too impossible. 1 Corinthians 15 and 54 says, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. We don't have to fear death. Death is actually a good thing. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain when you minister to someone, when you pray for someone, it is not in vain because God's spirit is about to be poured into that person's life. Death is not something to fear anymore because he has made a way for those things that died to be resurrected to life again. Dry bones are not final. Dry bones are not final. And Jesus is coming and when he does, he will breathe his spirit into your situation. If you've never received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, I urge you tonight to come to this altar and experience the life-giving power that comes with the infilling of the spirit. There is nothing like it and you cannot live an overcoming, victorious life with Jesus Christ without it. There is no way you can do it. And if you have received the Holy Ghost... And yet a feeling like a valley of dry bones, I urge you tonight to come to this altar and start to prophesy over your situation, over yourself, and tell your dry bones, look here, listen, hear the word of God. Tonight, dry bones, breathe into this empty vessel, God. Fill it up with the power of the Holy Ghost and let him roll open the tome and fix your stinking life. And if you have a situation that you feel is beyond repair, that is beyond all hope, be encouraged, brother. Be encouraged, sister. Find yourself at this altar tonight and declare the power of God's spirit. Declare his miraculous resurrecting spirit over that situation. Whether it's a person, a place or a thing, whatever it is, proclaim tonight that the winds of God's spirit are starting to move. Hallelujah. We sang before the grave could not contain him. And if you have him, it cannot contain you or your situation. He has overcome. He wears the victor's crown. Hallelujah. Let's stand tonight. These altars are open. If you want to come 